Good morning again. Pastor Craig is uh, off this week. Uh, many uh, people know, and maybe you don't know, but it is National Youth Pastors Day because uh, <laughs> the Christmas season yields uh, great uh, fatigue for pastors. So all across the country right now, youth pastors are getting their opportunity. Um, so that I am too, but no. Um, in all fairness, uh, uh, Pastor Kevin was uh, planning to preach today. Um, I thought he took his uh, hero gene this morning when I saw him when I walked in. Um, he's been under the weather, but he's doing much better. And uh, in the coming weeks, we hope to hear the, the message that he has um, been working on as he will wrap up our sermon series that we began last January. Funny thing, I preached the first one and I get to preach the last one, sort of. <laughs> Um, so that's fun for me. Uh, if you have your Bible, please be making your way to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, if you noticed in the bulletin, or maybe you hadn't noticed yet, uh, you see our schedule. Uh, we have no service tonight, and we won't have any service on Wednesday night uh, either. But uh, it is uh, a privilege to be able to come and be before you, sharing God's Word with you, and uh, speaking to you about its importance. If you are able, I would ask that you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We'll read and pray and then begin. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for every word. As we consider what it's meant to work through the Bible in a year as a church, and as we consider what we do with that as we move into a new year, Lord, help us to remember the importance of your word, how it is paramount to our life, and how we have no life without it. This morning, speak to our hearts and open our minds so we may hear from you and you alone. In Christ's name, amen. The title of this sermon would be Not by Bread Alone. And so my question to you this morning would be, why do you need God's Word? Why is it such a big deal and why is it important? And we close out this year in this sermon series, the endeavor that we began last January, working through the Bible as a church, and we've completed that task. What do we do now? with all that we've done? The answer is that we continue and build. Reading the Bible doesn't have a finish line. It's not a season. It doesn't have a stop. Reading the Bible and making it a part of your life is something that you do and you continue to do because the Bible has no equal. It's inspired and perfect, and the Bible is without error and is sufficient to teach us everything that we need for faith, salvation, and godly living. The Bible is active and living it relieves dead hearts. It heals broken hearts and feeds the hungry. God's word is supreme because it contains the highest expressions of truth. Consider what we've learned this year as we've worked through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We've considered who wrote the Bible. We've learned that there were shepherds and kings and scholars. There were fishermen and prophets. There was a military general and a cupbearer and a priest all pen portions of the scripture we call God's word. We've considered their purposes for writing these, and some recorded history. Some gave spiritual encouragement. Some brought accountability and moral instruction and pronounced judgment. We learned that these writers 
under God's inspiration, composed their work from palaces and prisons, the wilderness and places of exile. They wrote historical accounts, laws, poems, prophecies, and proverbs. Through all this, we've learned from Genesis to Revelation that mankind repeatedly rebelled. We kept falling short. We've learned that what we were made for and how we messed that up. And then we also learned, as Pastor Craig preached last week, what we will become. God made perfectly and created everything for its time. And we lived in a time of perfect relationship. And we're going back to that one day. And there's great hope in that. One day there will be no strife, no struggle, no fear, no tears. And as Billy Graham once famously said as he held up his Bible, he said, I read the last page and you're going to be okay. If you didn't know, now you must know. The Bible is your story. It's my story. It's our story together. And what we've learned in these last 12 months is just the beginning. You must build on what you've learned. And this morning, I hope to give you the motivation by considering three reasons you need the Word of God. Three reasons why you need the Bible. Number one, this morning, as we read through, uh, from Matthew chapter 4, and we read of Jesus' temptation. Today, firstly, you need God's Word because it's your only weapon. It is all that you've got in the war that you're in. Oftentimes, we think that the war we're in is against somebody that we can see, but the war that we're in isn't against somebody we can see. It's your only weapon. It's the weapon that Jesus used to defeat the temptation of the devil. If you continue to read in Matthew chapter 4, you read that over and over again, Jesus was tempted by the devil, and he responded with the Word of God. You need it because a fight implies that you need a weapon. The fight that you're in isn't for success or financial stability. It's not to get your kids into college or to get into college. It's not just to make it to the next vacation or to make it through this season of your life. Your fight is spiritual, it's intense, and it's ongoing. You need the Word of God as your weapon because it describes the fight and the victory. It's not just enough to tell you that you're in a fight, but God's Word also tells you what to do in that fight. Ephesians 6 describes it saying, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Our fight is there. It's against spiritual and it's a necessity that we be equipped. When you continue to read and dig into that spiritual equipment, then you learn that you can have the right belt on, you can have the right footwear on, you can have the chest protection, you can be ready with the shield of faith, and you can be adorned with the helmet of salvation and never strike back unless you pick up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It's your only weapon. The word, the word of God is what pushes back against what's attacking you. It's the word that you can wield and make an impact with. Like Jesus exemplifies in Matthew chapter 4, it's the word that wins our spiritual battles. Notice that when Jesus is led and then Jesus is tempted and Jesus is, responds you know, to the devil and his schemes, that he's also led into the wilderness by the Spirit. 
And then he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. We read that in the first two verses of Matthew chapter 4. So Jesus is led by the Spirit into the, into the wilderness, and he's put into the, a physically weak position. Jesus' response isn't physical. See, Jesus is Jesus, right? So when the, the devil tempted Jesus and said, you know, command that those stones become bread, Jesus could do it. We can never be tempted as Jesus was tempted because we can't do that. But Jesus was tempted to that degree that he could have responded in the physical and either destroyed the stones and said, what stones? Or actually commanded the stones to become loaves and ended the spiritual battle right there, right? He could have ended the temptation by responding in the physical, but he doesn't do that. Jesus responds in the spiritual by wielding the word of God. He could have called down the armies of God and ended the fight. But what would we have had then? We would have had an example that we could never endeavor toward. Instead, Jesus responds and gives us our example. We fight and win when the word is our weapon. In your weakened flesh and in my weakened flesh, there is a direct link between how we feel about the life that we're living and how much we're in God's word. And here's the thing, you've all heard the cliche and many people and fancy marketers say it to you all the time. You've all heard somebody say something that this is that thing that you can't live without. But when Jesus says that you can't live without it, it's different. Because the Bible isn't good advice. The Bible is absolute truth. When Jesus says that you cannot live by bread alone, he's not saying that if you do this, this might work out well for you. He's saying this is absolutely how it is, and if you want life, you can't do it in the physical alone. The Bible teaches, as Jesus exemplifies, the battle ends when the word is our weapon. You need every word of God's word this morning. Number two, because it's your source of life. It's your source of life. You need God's word because without it, you are lifeless. Life doesn't come by meeting our physical needs. You don't win the spiritual battle that you're in that Paul described to us in Ephesians and that Jesus was endeavoring in when he was tempted. And when we read about it in Matthew chapter 4, you don't win that by winning in the physical. I'm trying really hard not to get ahead of where I want to say, what I really want to say. Life doesn't come by meeting your needs in the physical and emotional you can and have all that you still want and still not have life because you can't live by bread alone. When Jesus responds, and he does so by quoting the word of God, and it's no accident where he quotes. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. There is no other book that Jesus quotes more from than Deuteronomy. But the, the cool thing about what Jesus did was when he responded, he quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And he said, and this is what it says, and he humbled you and, let, and he is God. He says, and he humbled you and let, your hung, let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
God put those people into a situation where they would recognize and understand that they didn't even or couldn't even have life without his word. And when Jesus quotes from that, there's no accident from where he's quoting. The words spoken by Moses reminding them to be careful to do all that is commanded. That you can't even enter the promised land with just bread. And God humbled you to show you your need. And Jesus quotes that need and says you can't live by just bread. God's word is a source of life, your constant need. And because it's your constant need, it must also be your constant intake. It blows my mind how many conversations I have with Christian people. Not just, you know, people at this church, because I have the opportunity to talk to a bunch of people. It blows my mind when people come to me and they say they have this big, you know, thing going on in their life. They can't get, you know, emotionally right or psychologically right. They're struggling with this sin or that sin. And I say, how much have you been reading God's Word? And they say, or not much. Or I hadn't read it since last, you know, August. I'm like, it blows my mind because you can't live without the Word. You can't live by bread alone. Too often we buy the lie that as Christians, we live our Christian life like it's a gas tank and we come on Wednesday nights and get filled up and we come on Sundays and we get filled up and that through the week we have enough gas to fight the devil. We have enough energy from those two encounters with God's word that we have enough to get through. But that's a lie. Your Christian life, it does not look anything like a gas tank. It looks more like a drop cord. And when you're not plugged in, you don't have anything. The power that you need to live your life, the not by bread alone, but by every word, comes from your engagement with the word. You can't live without the word because the world is broken. Jesus encountered that brokenness to such a degree that we can't even imagine when he's tempted by the devil. But we encounter it every day in such subtle and, and slick ways because the devil is really good at what he does. And he's been practicing a really long time. You can't live without it because we live in a broken world and every day that brokenness is endeavoring to convince you that there is no hope. You read the word, you read the Bible, so when you hear the world's lies, you know it's a lie. When you hear the world tell you, young ladies, young men, when you hear the world tell you that you have no worth and you've read the word, you know that Genesis 1.27 says that you were created in the image of God and that gives you more value than any value that the world could ever give you. You know that Psalm 139 says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know stories like the one from Mark chapter 5 where a lady comes to Jesus in her need and it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because they, in Mark chapter 5 it says that this woman came to Jesus in her need and the world called her what the Bible named her, a woman with a discharge of blood. She meets Jesus in her need and says, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, then I'm going to be made well. She had spent all that she had on the world, and the world hadn't made her better. So she comes all the way from the bottom of the barrel to her knee. She meets Jesus. If I could just touch the hem of his robe. When she does, she touches it and finds out that that's all she needed the whole time. It says that she was healed instantly. Jesus, knowing that, says, who healed me? I mean, who touched me? He's in a crowd, and everybody's looking at him like, Jesus, everybody's touching you. 
But he knew that somebody touched him differently than everybody else. When you come to church and you just sit in church or when you read the word and you're just there and you don't seek to touch God the way that that woman sought to touch Jesus, then you're missing the whole boat because she said, somebody touched me in faith. The world called her a woman with a discharge of blood. The end of that account says, daughter, your faith has made you well. When the world tells you that you have no value, you remember that you're a son of the king, a prince and a princess. That woman met Jesus, and everybody called her that bleeding person. And Jesus said, daughter. You read the Bible so that when you question your salvation, you know that you can't lose what Christ gained for you. And because you've read verses like John chapter 10, 28, that says that he holds everyone every name in his hand. And you've read Philippians 1, 6 that says that if God began a good work in you, that he would complete it until the day of Christ. You read the Bible so when life ceases to make sense, you know you have something to hold on to because you've read Jeremiah chapter number 29, 11, where you know, Jeremiah's talking 28 chapters of all that's gone wrong with God's people. But in verse, 20, verse 11 of chapter 29, he says, but I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, give you hope in the future. What everybody loves that verse and puts it on their bumper sticker and on their t-shirt and posts it all over, you know, InstaFace. And when they do that, they forget that Jeremiah 29, 12 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You cannot live by bread alone, but you have to seek God with all of your heart. That means your intake of God's word has to be constant. You read the word, so... When you're disappointed with situations and people and opportunities, you remember that you're being molded and made. You're a block being shaped. You're a new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are not what you used to be, and God's working on you to make you something else. It's not going to feel like it used to feel. It's going to feel different because you are old and now you're new. You must read the Bible so you know better when... You hear or feel that you're not loved. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 1 John 4.19 says that we know love because God first loved us. Why is love such a big deal? Consider this. Love is such a big deal because it is the counter to fear. Love is the weapon that you use against being afraid. The power behind every lie that's literally trying to kill you is fear-backed. The lie that says that you're not worthy, not valuable, not accepted, not saved, not in, there's no one in control, or that you're not loved, all of that is backed by fear. I'm afraid that nobody loves me. I'm afraid that I'm not worth anything. I'm afraid that no one's in control of my situation and everything's going nuts and I don't know why. I'm afraid. And so the world comes at you with fear lies, and your counter is God's love. But you don't know that unless you're in the Word. Because 1 John 4, 18 says that perfect love casts out fear. You can't even have fear if you know the love of God. Read the Word because it's one of the most seductive lies in this world is telling you to try harder. 
One of the most seductive lives. Dude, I am an effort guy. One of the things that God did to me when he called me into ministry was humble me because I thought if anything needed to be get done, all I got to do was work harder and longer. And that's not how your Christian life works. One of the most seductive lies is the world telling you to try harder. The world and your flesh say, bow up. And God's word says, bow down. Your breakthrough isn't coming by your effort. You can't try hard enough to beat the devil's temptations. Jesus was more powerful than anyone who's ever walked the face of this earth. He didn't respond in the physical with effort. He wielded the word of God. Your need is always the stage for God to work. And I'll bet you that all the time that you have felt like, I need just a little bit more time in my day. I need just a couple more hours. I need, you know, if I can not do this, I'll have more time to spend on that, and I can get everything done. You feel, when you feel like effort's going to fix everything, here's what happens to you. You get first overwhelmed. And everybody knows what that feels like because we just did Christmas and it's like the most overwhelming time ever, all right? You feel overwhelmed, and then your reaction to overwhelmed is faster. Maybe if I can just push down on the gas a little bit more, and maybe I can just make a little more time stealing from this and taking from that, then I will have time to fix this thing that's overwhelming me. I bet you felt that thing that twists inside of you that almost makes you sick. It makes you feel like you're about to throw up. It makes you feel like... You don't have enough. And our reaction, and it was always mine until I learned this to like 30 years, all right? It was always my reaction to try harder when I felt overwhelmed. And I always believed that that's what the proper reaction to that feeling was. But what I've learned from God's word is that's not your, that's not God telling you to try harder. It's the Holy Spirit quickening you to let go. It's telling you not to bow up against your situation, not to flex your muscles, but bow down before God's sovereignty and everything that he's doing in your life and watch him flex. God promised Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, he promised him his presence if he would read the word, if he would keep it on his lips day and night and be careful to do it. And he says in verse 9 of chapter 1, be strong and courageous. Be not dismayed. Be not, do not fear or be dismayed. I am really messing that one up. Be strong and very courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with you wherever you go. Do not be ashamed or dismayed. I will be with you. John said of Jesus' ministry, he must increase and I must decrease. Jesus himself said in the most honest confession in the garden of Gethsemane when he was praying, he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Remember, Jesus had power like, unlike ours. And when, so he, when he faced the cross and he got real honest with his prayers before his father, he said, not my will. He prayed, Lord, if, this, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. This is hard. I feel overwhelmed. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He bowed to the will of God. 
Paul says that when he was assaulted by a thorn in the flesh, he realized that in his weakness, God was perfecting his strength. Paul says, I can do all things through who? Through Christ who strengthens me. When we read that, it doesn't mean that you can go run a marathon tomorrow because if you read chapter 4 of Philippians, you realize that in verses 10 through 13, Paul's talking about, I understand the ups and the downs of life. I know how to have a lot and have a, how to have a little. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul said, I've learned the secret to ride in the roller coaster, and it is not effort. You need the word of God in your life constantly because that's what shows you the stage that God's created to work. You understand what God's doing when you read God's word. You need every word of God's word because you need to know how dangerous sin is. And because you know what sin is and its danger, you must also consider your need to be saved. So lastly this morning, you need the word because it saves and it changes you. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, The gospel, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation. God's word shows us our need to be saved. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there is none good, no, not one. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And therefore, knowing your need precedes the action of salvation. You need God's word because you know you need to know that you, one, need to be saved, but also you need to know that it's what changes you. When you know that you need to be saved, you know that you need to hear the word of God. It's what Romans 10 verse 17 says. But Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. For with the mouth one confesses unto righteousness, when the heart one believes is saved. If you would ask anyone in their flesh temptations, those that don't know Christ, if you ask them, would you like somebody to save you right now? They will all say yes. But if you, your second question to that person, and maybe it's your second question to yourself, if I look at you this morning, I say, would you like somebody to save you out of the current situation that you're in? You would probably look at me, and if you're honest, you would say, yes, I would love to be out of what's going on. And I would look at you and say, okay, the second question is, if you need to be saved, and you say yes, will you follow Jesus after that? And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. That means I have to change. My mom's here today. I'm going to try to say this without crying. I really am. Whew. About 10 years ago, my mom called me on the phone. It was like right around my birthday or something like that. I can't even, I'm going to look at her. Um, right around my birthday. And she said, hey, what do you want for your birthday? I said, a study Bible. And there was this long pause. She said, okay. You know, about five years later, when God started working in my life and called me into ministry, she'll point at that day and say, I knew something was going on then. Because I would read the Bible at lunch before I was, where I was working. I would read it at lunch, and I didn't understand it, and I wanted to. God was doing something in my heart and mind at that time, and I knew I needed to read it, and I knew I needed to understand it. And here's why, because I had tried everything else to change me. I tried it all. I've been to the bottom of every barrel and every temptation. And I wanted something that was real and powerful and that would not quit. And every time I read God's word, 
I felt what was real and what was powerful and what didn't quit. The word of God changes you because it shows you your need to be saved. And when you see that need, you have to bow under it and say, whatever happens after that, not my will, but your will be done. See, everybody wants a Savior when you're in trouble. But not everybody wants a Lord to follow after that trouble's over. But the Word of God teaches you that the best thing that could ever happen to you is for you to begin to trust what it says. When you read the Bible, your intake of God's Word equips you for the life, but it also gives you something powerful and real to share. Romans 10, 17 says, How is anybody going to know unless somebody tells them? What if we don't send anyone? What if I never share what changed me? It gives you something real and powerful when someone else hears a lie, when they begin to think that they're not worth anything, when life doesn't make sense, and when struggles come, when they need love and help, you have help to offer. It promises in Isaiah 55 that if you'll just read it, it always works. There's not a single thing of this world that I will promise you works all the time. But Isaiah 55 says that this will never return void. God says, if it comes out of my mouth, then it will accomplish all that I have sent it to do, and it will never return void. There's two absolutes that I share with young people. One is always that Romans 10, 13 says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can't want to be saved and not get it. And the second one is that if you read it, it works. And there's two absolutes because the Bible says it's absolute, not because I do. You read it so you have something powerful to share and you have help to offer because it promises it works and it promises to save. In just a minute, our musicians are going to come. And as you consider everything that we've went through as a church this year and the Word of God that we've considered this morning, if there's anything that we know about 2022, it's that your life and my life, we're all walking into the unknown. I've seen some really funny memes the last couple of weeks. It says, everybody going into 2022, don't touch anything. We don't know what it is yet. That's true. If they're sure of any, if we can be sure of anything in 2022, that we're walking into the unknown, but we can know how to react to what's coming. We can know that when we don't feel loved, that we are. We can know that when we feel overwhelmed and tired, it's not our flesh telling us to work harder. It's the Holy Spirit telling you to bow down and let go. It's not a fight when you feel that twist inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit calling you back. When you feel like you don't have value, you remember that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. If you know Christ, you are a prince or princess, and that that is the highest value that anything in this universe could ever give you. When you struggle, you know someone's in control. When you fear, you know that fear is conquered by love because perfect love casts out all fear. Reading the Bible might not 
be what you need this morning, but it's going to be what you need in 2022. This morning, you might be the one that needs to know the author of the Bible. You might have known you needed something more than you had to offer your whole life, but here's the thing. You know, Jesus has already accomplished that which you seek. Maybe you've recognized your need, maybe you've never heard what I'm saying, or maybe you've never had a moment where you got down on your knees and you said, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I've tried everything else. And that if it even means following you after today, I will follow you after today because I know i got nothing left. I've been there. Maybe today you just need, me, need to be saved. If that's you, we celebrate that need with you. And you don't have to be scared or ashamed. If you want what is real and powerful, and you know you need a Savior and willing to call on His name and follow Him, today is the day of your salvation as the Bible teaches us. And with that, we celebrate. And in a minute, when we sing our invitation, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be saved by Jesus. If you're struggling today, and you're saying, where's that Bible verse that tells me how to get through what I'm going through? I'd love to talk to you about that. If you just need to pray and say, Lord God, help me not let go of all that I've heard and all that I've learned in 2021. Help me to not stop. Just because the church stopped going through the Bible in a year doesn't mean you have to stop. If you need to pray and ask God to empower you to that, don't leave today without a commitment either to follow Jesus or to make the word your priority. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for your love. We are grateful for the grace that Ephesians 2, chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 teaches us that it is by grace that we are saved through faith. And it is a gift of your doing. God, thank you that we have so many promises that you rule over our minds and hearts, that you put us in situations not to call on our effort, but to show us our need. Help us as we consider the stage of our life, not as one for us to perform or compete or to give our all on, but to bow down and worship you as we watch you work in us. Lord, this morning, if there's one that doesn't know you, I pray that they would not leave without that knowledge. I pray for those who are being built up by you. I pray that discipleship continues, that the word continues to be a priority in the lives of us here. I pray that as Malvern Hill, that you would continue to equip us to be the vehicle that takes that gospel to the world. Lord, I ask this as we have celebrated. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, amen.